Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. What's up ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on another brilliant guest. He's an entrepreneur, he's a businessman, he is a family man, and this is the one and only Grant Botnell. Welcome to the show. Hey, Zuby. Thanks for having me on. No doubt, man. Grant, I've done a super brief intro there. I know who you are, but for those who do not know, please tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'll start backwards from where you were. Yes, family man for sure. That's very important to me. I have three kids, and I'm kind of, I feel like in the golden age of parenting, I'm not necessarily wiping high knees and my kids still think I'm really cool. They haven't given me teenage attitude yet. So uh, I got 14, 12, and 10 are the age of my children. Um, I am married and have been married for almost 20 years now. But yes, I own a business. I own several businesses. Actually, I own a real estate agency, an investment management firm, a mortgage brokerage, an insurance agency. And uh, the, what we like to communicate to our community here in Arizona is that we love people through finances. Um, I am fairly active in kind of some political things that are happening in my home state of Arizona, specifically with school choice, because family is important to me and school choice was important to me as a as a younger person. So if your audience follows me on Twitter, they'll probably see some engagements with with that. Um, but, man, I, I feel like I've, I've been put on this earth to love people and love people well. And that's what I'm trying to do on a daily basis. That's awesome, man. Well, there's a lot to get into there. So let's rewind. I know that you're in Arizona, born and raised. Is that correct? That is correct. Born and raised here. And I love it here. If anybody talks to me about where to live, I'll try to convince them to come to Arizona. It's wonderful. <laughs> awesome. Advocate for the city and the state. Um, tell me a little bit. Tell me uh, about your your background. So you, you told me you've been been married for 20 years. You know, Obviously, there was a time you weren't married. There was a time you had zero children. And there was a time you were just a young boy growing up in Arizona. So tell me what that was like. Yeah, I grew up on a farm in Arizona. It was a dairy farm. So that's just a bunch of cows. And my my father, his business was producing milk and sold that milk to the local um, milk union. And then they took that milk and turned it into cheese, butter, all the things, right? And growing up on a farm, um, I, I learned a lot from my father, which was how to work hard, how to do hard things, uh, specifically in the summers in Arizona when it's super hot. You can't stay inside. You got to go take care of the cows and take care of the farm. Uh, but to be fair, I was still a young kid when my father had the farm. Um, so I didn't do all the work like my older brothers and sisters did. I'm the middle of seven kids. 
Um, and like most people, right, my, my uh, father and, and my mother, they kind of had some demons of their own that they faced. And as a result, uh, they divorced and, and, and split up. And my father spent some time in prison for a little bit. Um, and we lost the farm. We lost the dairy. And uh, my mom was kind of left on her own as a single single mom to try to raise seven kids. Um, so that was a very unique experience, having gone through that as a kid. And I learned a ton from it. And I know that I wouldn't be the man I am today uh, without some of those things. Um, I actually moved out of the house kind of on my my own before I graduated high school and was, I was living on my own, kind of doing my own thing. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to get into finance at a very early age. I went to a uh, job fair that my high school had, and I just basically went to it because I wanted to get out of class. And uh, through that job fair, I, I found myself working in the credit card industry um, at 15 years old. And that's where I kind of got my start in, in finance. Wow. I didn't know 15 year olds were even allowed to work at credit card. <laughs> yeah. They had to card. ask my dad for permission to do it. So <laughs> the way it went, it's like, uh, you did this like mock, uh, phone call. And, uh, I, I guess they liked the mock phone call that I did in, in the, in the job interview thing. And by the time I got home, there was a message on uh, the answering machine, uh, for my dad. And, and they said, Hey, uh, we'd like to hire your son. We need your permission to do so. And sure enough, my dad's like, yeah, go get paid, man. <laughs> man that, that, that's interesting. I'm curious to learn a little bit more, a little bit more about your childhood. I mean, you said you, you said you learned a lot from this situation that happened with your, with your parents. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about yeah, that I think the, you, the most you took from it? I think the most important thing that, that I picked up and I learned is that, um, people make mistakes. Uh, people aren't perfect and myself included. It took years and a long time for me to uh, have grace for my parents. Um, despite the, the, the issues and the things that they were dealing with. Um, but I, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm at a place right now as an adult, uh, that I know for a fact that my parents loved me like crazy. They never really, uh, made me doubt that, um, despite some of the issues and things that they were, they were going through. Um, one of the reasons why I really enjoy being in finance is because my father, uh, struggled with that. He didn't do well with that. Didn't make wise decisions. That's one of the reasons why, why the farm was lost. Um, I actually do not drink alcohol. I've never, have never drunk alcohol before in my life. And the reason for that is because I watched what alcohol did to, to my parents. I'm not saying that drinking alcohol is terrible for everyone, but man, I, I'm scared of it. And, and I don't think it would be right for me. Um, growing up the middle of, of seven kids, it was kind of like two batches of, of kids. There was my older brother and sisters, and they did a lot to care for us. And then there was me and my three younger brothers. So even though I'm a middle child, I, do have a lot of uh, firstborn tendencies and um, did a lot of things to, to care for and love my younger brothers and uh, lead in that regard as well. Um, but yeah, I, the, the biggest lesson I learned uh, was how to have grace for folks that uh, maybe have not been perfect in your life. And as a result, your life hasn't been perfect uh, from some of their mistakes. Um, mm. And, and I, I, my hope is that everybody can find a way to do that specifically for, for their parents. Cause man, have I made some mistakes in parenting as well, man, there's so many interesting t directions to go here. Cause I think these stories are fascinating because I'm always incredibly interested by people's people's backgrounds and life experiences, because 
I find that especially when it comes to people, you know, who are entrepreneurs or they've achieved some level of success or whatever it is, there's always this, there's always a whole backstory, which oftentimes people don't hear and people are not aware of, right? They see, they see people where they are, right? Mm. So they see you right now. Oh, cool. Like successful business, um, you know, married kids, like probably just, right. People just have a sort of image in their head of like what your life was like and all your experiences and whatever. And it can, it can often be like way off, right? It can be accurate. It can be way off. There can be like massive details that influence the man that you are right now that people are not aware of and so on. So I think those stories are interesting. I mean, even like what you said regarding alcohol, that's so interesting because you have people who, you have people who are alcoholics and they say that they're alcoholics because uh, their dad or their mom was an alcoholic. But then there's people who like are teetotal <laughs> and mm -hmm. won't even won't, won't even touch it for the exact same reason. So you can have two people who like experience the same thing and the way that it influences them all the way up through their adulthood, their entire life. You know, there's people who are 60, 70, 80 years old and they're still blaming all their personal failures on you know, their parents, right? They're something that happened when they were seven years old. And they're like, okay, well, I'm like this because I'm like this at 70 because this thing happened back when I was seven. And at some point it's like, well, okay, like if you're an adult, you, you gotta, you, you, you gotta, you gotta move forward and take that responsibility and take that accountability and make your own personal decisions of, okay, well, what am I going to do? Um, and so I, I find it interesting just how people process and use these things differently. Yeah, a lot of people can um, have that victim mentality where when things ha are happening in their life or have happened to their life, they just wallow in that. And to be honest, that's like a, a, a common trait for alcoholics, right? They, they have a thing that um, they continue to go to in their mind or in their life that gives them that reason to, to drink and, and, and that makes it okay. Um, but as I mentioned before, having having grace for for other people has helped me overcome and not have the victim mentality. I recognize that the decisions and things that they did were, were their life and not mine. And for some reason, I, I think God just gave me uh, an ability of discernment that whenever I see people doing things, um, I see the outcome of the thing that they did. And then I can say to myself, oh, I want to do that. I want to repeat that. I'm going to follow in that direction. But I can also see the opposite side when people do a thing and I'm like, ooh, I'm going to stay away from that. I, I don't want to do that thing uh, because I saw what that turned into. And I've, I've taken agency of, of my own life. I've taken ownership of, of my life rather than being a victim to uh, what has happened in the past or what people in my life have done. Um, and man, that's a really common thing and a common trait specifically with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a word you've used multiple times, which is not a word I hear a lot in society and culture these days, which is grace. Hmm. Um, when you say grace, what does that mean to you? Uh, forgiveness. Um, it means giving the other person leeway. Uh, I would say even giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. Um, there are lots of things that cause us to make the decisions that we make. And sometimes we make those decisions and choices out of places of uh, a lack of health. Could be a lack of physical health or mental health, uh, emotional health, um, or it could be out of selfishness or greed or whatever it is. Um, but even if there is selfishness or greed that, that, that are involved in the choices that impact you negatively, there was something else that was motivating them to do that somewhere. And um, I just have grace for people who are in those situations because I too 
if I'm honest with myself, I really look in the mirror. I've got selfishness and greed inside my heart at times, right? Um, I haven't always been the most healthy person or healthy individual. And I just think that we're all as humans, not perfect and we're fallible. And uh, when somebody's imperfection rises up, I have to first say to myself, well, I'm, I'm capable of that. If things in my life don't go exactly the way they could or should, I'm, I'm exa- absolutely capable of some of those things. Uh, but I'm grateful that, that I haven't done th- those things. And I, I want to have grace for those folks. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think that's uh, there are certain words that I feel like have been lost in the modern Western lexicon. And I think uh, grace is one. I think grace is one of them. I yeah. think grace is one of them. I think honor is one of them. Hmm. I think duty is one of them. Uh, these are words I just don't hear often when people are talking, right? I hear a lot about rights. I hear a lot mm. about um, me and my feelings. And it's, it's very, it's very self-centered. And I think I like that. I like the concept of grace because it's, we, we, we've kind of got things on the other side. We have this very unforgiving, right? If you think of like what people call cancel culture, right? There's this very like the opposite of grace, like just extraordinarily unforgiving and dogmatic and like, okay, this person said something silly. So we need to now destroy them and their career and their everything forever because they aired, not in the way of committing some like horrible, horrible crime or they did something like right. they said something stupid, right? Like they, they did something foolish or they used the wrong word or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, this person is destroyed forever. And then on the flip side, we have what you talked about, which is like the victim mentality of not holding people accountable or responsible at all, right? Someone's out there doing something terrible and it's like, you know, oh no, don't, don't shame them. Don't hold them accountable. Don't do it. And it's like, grace to me is that middle ground where there's the element of forgiveness, but also recognizing the reality of the issue. And I just find like, yeah, that word, I'm trying to think of the last time, you know, I heard a public figure use Mm -hmm. that word right? You, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of just, it's just been lost. And I think that concept has gone. Maybe, maybe this is a part of the uh, uh, decline of the influence of religion. Like grace is a very yeah. Christian word. When I even hear the word, I associate it with sort of Christian beliefs and ethics. So maybe as that has declined in our countries to an extent, that mm. concept has also been lost with it. I don't know what your thoughts are there. Yeah. Although I am a Christian, I grew up in a Christian home and Mm -hmm. I have my own personal relationship with Jesus. Like if you just break down who people are and what we want of most people around us is we want people to grow and get better. We ourselves are are trying to to grow and get better as we go through life. And sure, there are times in life when when, when there's valleys and there's peaks, um, but people change all the time. And I'm not even the same person that I was when I married my wife those many years ago, right? I'm shoot, I'm not even the same person I was five years ago in our marriage. Uh, my kids, they're not the same people they were a few years ago. My employees aren't the same people they were when I first hired them, right? People, people change. And again, hopefully the, the change is happening for the better. And by the better, they're making an even bigger impact on society, making a more positive impact on people around them. Um, hopefully that's the change that's that's happening. But in order for people to change and change well, you have to give them grace. Because without that that grace, they're they're unable to change further. 
or change faster. And if you want to talk about honor and, and duty, well, how can you teach somebody how to have amazing honor and, and, and be an honorable person that really believes in duty for a long period of time to have that be sustainable in their life if they don't have grace for other folks? Because when they have the duty of being honorable to people, people are going to let them down. People are going to hurt them and, and they might let others down. So in order to continue to have wonderful duty of, of honor, they're going to have to have grace for others when things don't go right. And they're going to have to have grace for themselves uh, when they fail and, and they make mistakes. Absolutely. Okay. So you're 15 years old and you're working at a credit card company. Uh, yep. Tell me the story going on from there. Oh, wow. So uh, I was just a punk kid and um, I was a very much a late bloomer. So I'm, I'm now 6'5", about 200 pounds. Uh, but when I was 15 and 16 years old, I was about 5'3", and weighed under 100 pounds. Um, mm. So I did not sound like a man on the phone, even though I am <laughs> a man. And uh, I was being taught these, these tactics of how to collect credit card debt. And it was to be like threatening and to tell them, hey, pay or else. Um, and I just didn't jive with that. And I wasn't making a career out of being a credit card collector working for this credit card company. Um, I was just doing it to try to earn an income. And if I got fired, no big deal. So I kind of did my own thing when I was working there. And that was as people were past due, I thought to myself, well, if they're past due on a credit card, there's probably something going on in their life. Either forgot or like there's something going on. So I would just take notes of people whenever I called them. And I never asked for money. And the next time I called them, I would look at the notes and then I would repeat back to them those notes and ask them how they're doing. Like, hey, is your leg healed? Or, hey, did you find that job yet? Or, hey, uh, how's your grandma doing? Or whatever that was. And at first, uh, my coworkers and even my bosses at, at that credit card company didn't necessarily love my tactics. I wasn't performing well. But over a period of time, I was building a relationship with these folks who were past due and then when I was at school, eventually my inbound phone line started ringing off the hook. And when they got money, who was the first person they called? It was it was me. Uh, they wanted to pay Grant back because Grant listened and I, I was kind and, and I cared for them. Um, and the next thing I know, I'm breaking records at this credit card company as a 15 year old kid uh, doing pretty well. And uh, I got recruited uh, to kind of work in some other finance industries and moved into the mortgage industry before the kind of great recession um, stuff happened in uh, 2008 here, here in the United States. That's so interesting. So how long did you work at that, at that company for, or how long were you in that? Man, I was at that credit card company for, I think a year and a half, two years. Then I moved to another credit card company for a little bit. And, um, Again, I was out on my own living by uh, myself, but still not graduated from high school yet. And I had a decent enough car um, and I, I didn't come from any money. Right. So I, I was earning my own wage and doing my own thing. And um, I thought I wanted to go to college. and I went to a community college. Uh, and to me, I was like, oh, this is kind of like high school, but you can smoke. Like, I don't really want to do this. So like, I like, didn't go. And uh, um, I, I was going to this this trip with with the youth group at church and i was in a van um on this trip and the way it kind of goes is like when you're in arizona all your trips are in california because the california weather's nice and you go to the beach and the kids love it right so all of us kids are in this van piled in like sardines taking turns sitting on the hump up front 
And uh, the youth pastor and the youth leaders, like, kind of like, if you're up on the hump up front, they try to grill you and make fun of you a little bit. And it's hilarious. So it was my turn up front. And he's asking me, Grant, you're living on your own. You got a car you're on. Like, how how you doing this, man? What are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a credit card collector. He's like, okay, let's pretend like you got to collect credit from me. And we did these mock phone calls and it was hilarious. And he made the rest of the kids laugh. Then after the van ride was over, he pulled me aside. He said, Grant, hey, I, I want to talk to you. Well, he owned a mortgage company and uh, recruited me to come work for him at 18 and 19 years old. Uh, and then I learned the, the, the mortgage industry and kind of learned a lot of things about personal finance and about people, which kind of led into um, a lot of my thoughts, not only about the world, but but uh, about my career and where my career is at today. That's awesome, man. And what was the first, I know you you run multiple companies. What was mm -hmm. the first one that you started? Was that stewardship? Yep, yep. So okay. our co community kind of knows us as stewardship, but we're okay. stewardship mortgage, which is the mortgage brokerage. Then I started stewardship insurance, which was a property casualty insurance, like auto, home, life, health. Um, then there's stewardship planning, um, which does uh, long-term care, disability, estate planning, stuff like that. Then stewardship financial, which is the registered investment advisory, and then there's stewardship realty, which is the real estate agency. So those those are the companies we've had. And um, grateful for for some of the success that we've had, and honestly, all that success is is to my team. I have an amazing group of folks who work for me, and that I get to work with every day. And we're on a mission together to love people and in our community through finances. And um, it's it's a blast. It's a blast doing it. That's awesome, man. How how do you thread that needle? Because when people think of all those industries you just mentioned, right? The word love <laughs> doesn't mm -hmm. typically get a, doesn't typically get associated with them. So how how do you how how do you do that? What's the ethos be, behind uh, you know working in all these financial areas, finance, real estate, you know, insurance, all these things, and then bringing in the love and stewardship aspect of it? How does that all fit together? Yeah. So as I mentioned, when I was working in that mortgage company, I learned a lot about things. And one of the things that I saw was I would see men that I respected um, be one person at church on Sundays and Wednesdays, and then they'd be a completely different person at work. And I was watching this war between work and life and people trying to balance that. And it didn't make sense to me. And I got frustrated with it. Um, and I didn't want to be that. And to me, I, I believe I'm put on this earth to love people. Uh, so if I'm going to be put on this earth to do that, and that's what me and my wife work to do and me and my kids work to do to each other and, and to other people in our community. Well, that's what I'm also going to do in my business rather than having, uh, my work and, and other areas of my life war against each other. And I'm trying to balance between the two. Um, I bring them together. And I try to have harmony and unity. And it starts with having an aligned mission and vision. I go to work to complete the vision of, of my life. My life, I believe I'm here to love people. So when I go to work, I'm going to love people, but specifically in the area of, of finances. Um, and yeah, man, that, it, it's weird word that doesn't get used <laughs> and, uh, rarely in business and especially not in finances. Uh, so it's kind of helped as a marketing thing, I guess, where we're where people see that and it sticks out a little bit. But um, I believe that every business fundamentally exists to serve somebody somewhere. And if you're going to serve somebody well, why not do it with love? 
Why not do it with selflessness? Why not genuinely put yourself in their shoes to really figure out the problems they have, the needs they have, so that you can fill them? And if you fill a need well with selflessness and love, you're going to do really well as, as a business owner. Yeah, I love that perspective because it's so different and rare. I think that I know that it's not true that you need to be sort of mean or cruel or dog eat dog mm. or whatever to to be successful. That that's a bit of a societal meme, right? Yeah. There's a societal meme that to make it in business or to be successful or to earn wealth or whatever, you have to, you know, take from people and you have to be unethical and you have to uh, step on people's toes and stomp on people's heads and be ruthless and this and this. And are there people who are like that and they achieve material success? Sure. Oh, they do yeah. exist. They do exist. But I think in many cases, those people, you know, they achieve success despite that oftentimes more than because of it. Like the people I know who are successful in various areas and who have built companies or, you know, done a lot of cool things, vast, vast, vast majority of the time, they're actually very kind. They're very generous. They're very mm. personable. They genuinely like people and enjoy being of service to other people. They're not these, you know, sort of, I don't know. I think people maybe get these ideas from um, even like cartoons and movies and things like that as they're growing yeah. up, right? You know, the sort of Mr. Burns and the Simpsons, right? Yeah. Or uh, I don't know, Scrooge McDuck swinging, sw swimming in his piles of, in his golden coins and, you know, that, that sort of thing of just like <laughs> anyone who's successful or anyone who's earned some money or whatever, like they've just been out here robbing everyone else and being horrible. And it's, I, I think I get why people think like that, but it's just not. It's not the truth, but I do wish that more business owners and entrepreneurs would put serve, you know, put serving people and put love more forward. I think like that's actually a very powerful message to get through to people. Um, and it's a very interesting differentiator. Yeah, the paradigm shift is I mean, well, the, the statements I heard when I was working in business at a young age was, Oh, Grant, that's just business. Or Grant, it's this is business. Mm -hmm. Almost yeah. like that was a license to be selfish. Like, what, what are we doing here, right? Um, and people think that the purpose of a business is profit. Um, no, it is not the, the purpose of business. The profit is the result of you living out the purpose. Again, the, the fundamental truth of every business everywhere is there's a need somewhere that somebody has and you're filling that need. So you're, you're serving you're filling a need. That is the purpose of a business. And if you do that well, then profit comes. And, th and that's the paradigm shift I think a lot of people have. And as you mentioned, and I, I would totally agree with that, many of the successful people that I know are extremely kind, very generous, have that mindset of like, no, let's serve really well. Let's, let's really find out the needs of, of folks. And the people that do jump in and say, well, that's business and use that, as I mentioned, as just a way to do whatever they want and be selfish. They might have some short-term success, but the long-term success isn't there. That's not a sustainable way, not only to do business or it's just not sustainable to live life. Those types of folks lack a lot of joy and they have this disjointedness about what they really care about in life and, and their work. And many times they're, they're unable to have sustainability uh, with happy things and joyful things that really matter in their life. For sure. So let's switch gears a little bit, Grant. Um, I know you've been married for almost 20 years. How did you meet your wife? Uh, MySpace. 
No, just kidding. That's what I always tell people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I was, I was actually going to say that would have been awesome. <laughs> uh, no, so um, I was going to a, a very small Christian college in Arizona. She was going to a very small Christian college in Iowa. And uh, my roommate was dating a girl. And uh, I became friends with this girl. And uh, when you go to a small Christian college, like one of the things is that like girls go there to try to get married. They're not there to try to get a degree. They they believe like, oh, if a boy's going to a Christian college, it must be a good guy. So I'm going to go there and, and try to get married. So what I was tired of was was that like culture and girls trying to pretend to be like they're interested in the things I'm interested in. I'm like, dude, I just want someone who's real. Like, stop, you know? Um, so I just wasn't interested in having those types of conversations. And I was really focused on my own personal relationship with Jesus, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life. I was actually in the process of writing the business plan for what is stewardship today. And I was really focused individual. I was playing college basketball as well. And that's kind of what I was doing with my free time. But my roommate's girlfriend had this friend that I had to meet. Um, and I just kept putting her off and putting her off and putting her off. Um, and we would do like bets, me and, and my roommate's girlfriend. And the bet was, uh, always if I won, she had to do my laundry. And again, I was playing college basketball and it was really stinky. So I got, would get my laundry done for free. Um, but if I lost, then I would have to talk to this girl. And I always made sure that I would only do bets that I knew I could win. Uh, so then I can get my laundry done for free. And I did that many times over. But then eventually, I don't remember what the task was. I lost a bet and then I had to talk to this girl. Uh, so I pick up the phone and I call this girl. And the next thing I know, we are text messaging and emailing over and over and over again before we ever meet. And uh, that's how it started. Wow. Uh, what, what, sort, what time period was this? Oh, man, this was, I think, 2004. 2004. Yeah. 2004. So again, okay. my space was kind of coming around by then. Yeah. The reason why I say the joke MySpace is because I, I never met her. Uh, and I honestly, I, I probably fell for her before I even met with her, uh, met her, um, because of how much I was getting to know her and talking to her and, um, had never even really seen her, uh, before I met, except in like a few photos here or there. Um, and it, I feel like it was like, you know, one of those online relationships that is now very common, but back then wasn't. Yeah. That's so interesting, man. I think people forget, especially my younger listeners just don't know how different, the world was in 2004 dude that was before smartphones and that yes. was yeah before everyone having the internet in their pocket and having all these devices and being so interconnected and 2004 doesn't sound that long ago to me but the technological shift has been insane yeah the the first time i ever saw a picture of her we um agreed to to take uh those disposable cameras and just take pictures of our life for a day and then we would we sent the disposable cameras to each other not developing them and then we would go to walgreens and develop them on our own and she would see all the pictures that were of my day and then i saw the pictures that were of her day like that's and we had to wait weeks for all that stuff to happen right of getting the camera take the pictures send it in the mail develop the pictures like that's how long ago it was which makes me feel super old but it doesn't feel like 2004 was that long ago yeah, it's uh, it's it's crazy. So, uh, car carry on with the story. So, what about the first meeting? When did you first meet? Yeah, so um, we uh, the the first meet is the the my roommate's friend. Um, she's going back to home for the summer in college, and uh, I jump in the car with her and my roommate 
to drive her back from Arizona to Wisconsin, which is kind of a long drive, 20, 24 hours, um, uh, so that she can go back for, for the um, for the summer. And uh, my wife, Jody, she's going to end up meeting me there. So uh, that was the plan, and, and that's how we executed it. And uh, we first met uh, there on a farm in, in Wisconsin and, and spent all night just kind of talking with each other. Uh, up to that point, we agreed that we really wouldn't uh, – spend a lot of time talking on the phone. We do a lot more writing and we would try to keep things um, not crazy uh, personal, not give a ton of backstory or information about each other's lives until we actually met uh, just to see if there was some physical attraction there. Uh, but man, right away, um, it, it, she was an awesome woman because uh, she was different than all the other girls that were being introduced to me um, because she was real. She wasn't pretending to be into the things that I was in. She was just telling me what was on her heart and what was on her mind. Uh, but more importantly, I, I could see that that she believed she was on this earth for the same reason that I believed I'm on the earth for the same reason. And we had a very much aligned mission uh, for our life. And that was was very, very important. It was almost like there was a target and a goal and I was running at it as fast as I could. And she had the same target and goal and she was running too. And the next thing we know, we're just running next to each other. And it was it was beautiful. Our podcast today is sponsored by The Wellness Company. Did you know that nearly 90% of pharmaceuticals in the U.S. are produced overseas? That's an alarming statistic. If you don't have an emergency kit on hand, it's time to get prepared. The Wellness Company's medical emergency kit contains eight potentially life-saving medications that every single American should keep in stock. It comes with a 22-page instruction guide on safe medical use for everything from snake bites to COVID to bioterror events. Another stellar product from the Wellness Company is Spike Support. Whether you got vaxxed or not, the virus is still among us in some capacity, as well as the related spike protein. Spike protein can cause brain fog, tissue damage, blood clots, and more. Spike support is a detoxification powerhouse that aims to strengthen the body's natural immunity and flush out spike protein, so you can get back to that pre-COVID feeling. Get both of these products by going to twc.health forward slash Zuby and get 15% off with the discount code Zuby. That's twc.health forward slash Zuby and use discount code Zuby to get 15% off. Disclosure, the medical emergency kit is only available to U.S. residents. That's awesome. What what explicitly was that goal? How was that uh, to love others. To love okay. others. We, we both believe that we are here on this earth uh, to, to, to love God and to love people, and, and that's why we're here. And she was pursuing that mission and, and trying to do that in, in her own ways. Uh, we were both on journeys at, at a younger age in, in our 20s, uh, looking in the mirror often and, and trying to figure out uh, mistakes that we had made and how we can correct those and what we want our future to look like. We were uh, engaging in uh, meaningful conversations with mentors and uh, reading very specific books and pieces of scripture and studying and journaling and doing a lot of things independently. And then it's like we met. It's like, oh, you do that too? Yeah. Oh, you do that too? And it was just, it was wonderful. So that's awesome, man. I, I, I love these. I love these stories, man, because I find kind of like, you know, asking you about the, your childhood and your backstory there, which is that, I don't know, you know, we live in this age of the, the internet and social media and smartphones and all, and all of this stuff. And I often, I, I, I like to hear, I like to hear everybody's stories, but, um, I feel like there's a Darth of hearing how people actually achieved and did things. Do you see mm. what I mean? Yeah. Right. So I hear a lot of talk of like, Hey, like marriage is good. 
having children is good. Like this is good. I, I don't hear a lot of conversation about like, okay, I've been married for 20 years and this is like how I met my wife. And this is like the process we went through. And these are the things we do day to day, week to week, month to month to like make it work. And this is how I balance my business with uh, being a father. And this is like, like, I, I feel like we kind of get like this very surface level, surface level thing of like, okay, this is good. But then also, you know, I talk to so many young men. I mean, majority of the people who listen to this podcast are men between 25 and 45. That's like my biggest demographic. And it's the same mm -hmm. across social media, whatever. And in the real world, you know, I, I have all these conversations with people. I'd say 50% of the conversations I have are with people older than me and 50% are with people younger than me. Right. So there's just this broad spectrum all across the world. And I know in so many, both young men's and young women's minds are all these questions about relationships, about parenthood, mm. about, um, about, you know, maintaining a marriage about how to even how do, women are like, Hey, how do I find a decent guy? Men are like, Hey, how mm. do I find a decent woman? Whatever. Like there's all this craziness that's out there like a lot of it has risen in the last 15 years 2004 you you fully dodged a bullet right um but that bullet is big and i think oftentimes people don't recognize just how crazy it is right now for a lot of young people living in this culture living in this world in this society all this technology um and oftentimes you know they're talking to their parents or they're talking to their grandparents who you know maybe their parents got married in the 70s and they're kind of just taking that exact same format and not realizing how how, mu how much stuff has actually just changed, how much the reality, if you're an 18 year old boy or girl right now, it's very different to what it would have been like being an 18 year old in 1970 or 1960 or 1950 or whatever. And I think oftentimes that's, um, that's kind of overlooked. So I like to have these conversations for my own sake, but also just for people listening to be like, oh, okay, cool. Like these are, these are some dots that I can connect. This is some practical advice that I can use instead of just becoming what I'm increasingly noticing. And maybe you've seen this as well is um, a lot of people just becoming what, what you, what people call black pilled, mm. right? Just, just, just giving up on it all. Just being like, you know what? No, I'm just checking out, especially men, right? There's a, yeah. there's a lot of men, millions of men out there who are just like, yeah, you know what? Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do any of this. Right. I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm going to dodge parenthood. I'm going to dodge marriage. I'm going to dodge any type of serious relationship. Um, not, none of it's worth it. Like it's, you know, and I get where I, I understand how people reach that point. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's an, obviously don't think it's a, it's a great conclusion. It's not really where we want to be going as a species, but I think oftentimes people reach that point because they just don't hear, they don't hear the positive stories and they don't hear mm. the, positive advice and they don't really get the encouragement in fact oftentimes people are just like oh okay like like pe people don't really want to help that demographic in a way you, you kind of see what i mean they're just like oh, okay well yeah. whatever like let 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 them just be angry or whatever and you know there's there's levels of anger that are not um reasonable and there's conclusions that are not reasonable but you can still see when someone is when, when there's like a whole demographic that's sort of struggling with a very similar problem it's a little bit like how you know a lot of millennials or gen z or whatever right when it comes to something like housing right just like mm. being able to being man how people are like you how, how do i even buy how, how can i even afford a house right let alone yeah. let alone become a parent like how do how do i even afford any of this stuff yeah and 
there's not a lot of great info that's flowing to those people. So people are like, hey, why are they why are they angry? Why are they socialists? <laughs> why are they, uh, you know, despite why are they and I'm like, well, they're not really give, getting a lot of great. They're not really getting getting a lot of great advice here. Um, and not only are they not getting great advice, there's getting a lot of noise and a lot of confusion from so many different places. And as a result, you can get kind of like paused in your tracks. Man, what what do I do? What's that one practical thing that I got to make sure I do so that I can find a great person to marry? What's that one thing I got to figure out to do so that I can earn the income and buy the house or whatever it is? And I I think I've just worked really hard at simplifying things. And, and maybe that's why we have success as a finance company, because we do simplify things for our clients. But but even with the story I just told you about how I, I found my wife, it was it was really simple. I was doing everything I could to pursue this mission that I believed I was on in life. And so is she. And, and we just kind of ran up next to each other. It's not like I was looking for her. She was looking for me. We were pursuing our, our mission in life. And then it's like, oh, hey, who are you type thing? And that's the advice that I'd give to anybody. It's like, how do you find a, a spouse? Well, figure out what your life is about and pursue that mission with everything you've got. And specifically, if that mission in life is selfless, it's, it's mm -hmm. others driven, and you're pursuing that mission and you're working hard to, to, to take care of others in, in a certain way, or, or you're working hard to pursue that mission well, there's going to be other people that have a similar mission and you'll start rubbing shoulders with those folks. And when you yeah. do, you'll get to learn a little bit more about them and discover like, hmm, could I maybe pursue this mission better with this person? And that's what it came down to for my wife and I. We both asked our question, could we love others better married? Mm -hmm. And we evaluated that individually and together. And we discovered, oh, yes, absolutely, we could. So that's why we chose to get married. And that's what's then happened, right? Is our mission has been lived out better. And the same is true for parenting. Should we have kids? Well, I don't know. Well, would we be able to love others better if we had kids? Well, it sure would give us the opportunity to practice selflessness and uh, to do some hard things. And uh, it sure has done that. But man, nothing has taught me a whole lot more about this world and about people as, 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 as marriage has and as parenting has. And if you want to grow as a human being, it's great. But also, specifically, if your mission, if you believe you're here on this earth for, for other people, wow, what, what a way to do that in marriage and, and in parenting. But yeah, man, to, simp to put it simple, what's your mission in life? Go pursue that thing. And if you do, you'll rub shoulders with folks that might help you pursue it better. And those are people that you might want to get married to, you know, or, or, or and as you're married and you're trying to make big decisions, like do we buy a house or do we parent or, and, and have children? Again, it comes down to that mission. Simplify it. Forget all that noise and everything else that's out there because the, keeping it simple helps in the decision making mm. process, especially those really big and important decisions like getting married and having kids. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And people have never had so much distraction before. Yeah. Right. Like the, the signal noise ratio is, is insane these days. Like it's crazy how much information we see and take in every day. Our eyes, our ears, just scrolling all these millions, billions of people and their opinions and ideas and videos and photos. And it's just like, it, that. yeah, it's, um, I often say that we're we're living through several of the biggest experiments in human history right now. Like and 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 there's they're running simultaneously. 
right? Like we've never been so interconnected before. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, what we're doing right now, the fact that we can be thousands of miles away speaking in real time with high definition video, and then we can take this conversation and broadcast it out to thousands and thousands of people all across the world and they can listen to it. To me, that's like, that's magic, right? It's unreal. Like, like, like that, that's, that's unreal. unreal. That's crazy. Um, and, yeah. And it's like, it, 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 I was just having this conversation um, with my kids over the, over the past couple of weeks is because the information that they get as, as children, I, I have to teach them how to manage that. Right. Um, so in our house, we, we don't allow them to have uh, smartphones or cell phones. Um, but they do have, um, uh, Apple watches so that I can connect with them or communicate with them, uh, specifically now, like they're getting older and doing sports and hanging out with friends and whatnot. Um, and I, I want to, to be able to always to connect with them if possible. Um, so we've instituted though, like we do have like iPads and video games and things in our house. Uh, but we've instituted like this, uh, screen time, uh, a thing that you have to do activity to earn screen time. So there's this sheet of stuff that they can do like pull-ups or push-ups or uh, certain drills for basketball or volleyball or whatever. And based on the time that they do that, then they can earn a little bit of screen time. And the thought behind that is like, I want to give them autonomy. I want them to grow up to, to learn um, how to manage screen time. If it technically it could be limitless if they did all, all of that uh, stuff. Uh, but also I want to teach them the value of, of doing uh, physical activity. And I thought maybe that was as a good trade-off. So we've been kind of on this experiment with our kids for a little bit, but one of the things that we had to talk about was including um, messaging uh, their friends is screen time. And even though it happened like, Oh, just here or there when it happens like that, like a hundred times a day, I had to educate them that they're becoming a slave to, to a device. Like they get a notification they see the red little circle or they hear the noise and they're just like, oh, grab, and they don't even think about it, right? These devices are designed to have us do that. And when I open their eyes to the, to the fact that like, th this is the design for these people, the people who made these devices are really smart and this is what they want and it's working on you. How do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, oh, I don't know, right? So, so we, we even had to have a conversation about, okay, well, how, how do we manage that? How do we manage all of these things that are coming at us? And it really just comes down to being intentional and it's saying, okay, there's nothing wrong with messaging people. There's nothing wrong with seeing those notifications, but I'm going to control my own actions rather than have something else try to control my actions. I'm going to say, I'm going to do screen time messaging my friends from this time to this time, and I'm going to be in control of it, right? Rather than throughout the day, constantly looking and, and, and grabbing at it. And that's just, the, again, the world that we live in. It's amazing that there's technology that me, you, me and you can have conversation. Arizona, all the way across the pond, right? And, and we're talking and we're going to be able to share this with anybody and everybody, which is wonderful. But at the same time, it's like, well, if we're not intentional about some stuff, some things could, could go wrong. And, and that's, that's part of what I have to do as a parent with my kids. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm so interested as to how parents handle that because it, it's a it's a completely new it's a completely new challenge. Yeah, right. It's 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 a new challenge. It's just like this did not exist. <laughs> this did not exist when I was a kid. This did not exist when my parents, anyone prior to us, were children. Like th this was not a threat. This was not a concern. And yeah. now you've just got like a mini because. It, I think when people call them phones, 
they're not even really being honest. Like a smartphone yeah. is, it's it's a phone, it's a computer, it's a pager, camera. a messaging device, it's a camera, it's a video camera, gaming system. It's yeah, a, it's a. <laughs> It, it's like everything calling it a phone i'm like dude how much time are people even spending calling like people yeah. are barely even calling each other it's just like a mini portable computer yep. that is in arm's reach at all times uh for most of the population all across the world now and this only started 16 17 years ago mm. prior to that time you know because even with a mobile phone like mobile phones were not addictive right you had one game. What you had, Snake. Snake. <laughs> you had Snake, yeah. and you could like text each other. But it it wasn't like, oh, well, let me go browse the internet. Let me go like no. scroll through this thing called Instagram or Twitter or like YouTube. No, none of none of that existed. Nope. And so, um, that's one thing I think about even now. Like, I'm not even a parent yet, but I think like, gosh, like, what is the right age to give a kid a smartphone or to like let them use social media? How do you manage screen time? How do you have conversations with them about some of the things they might be seeing? if they are online because there's all these just openings right there's yep. a lot of good people out there but there's a lot of terrible people out there there's a lot of good yep. messaging there's a lot of terrible messaging um and that's always existed but mm -hmm. not not in your pocket at all times in hd with lights and with like, mm -hmm. you know and with engineers behind it all who are doing their best to make it as addictive as possible like that's new yeah you and you mentioned it it's ex it's an experiment and uh, me and my friends who are raising kids together, right? We're having these conversations all the time. Hey, what are you guys doing? Hey, what are you doing? We're seeing this. We're concerned about this. What, what, what's going on? So even this like uh, activity for screen time thing that my wife and I are doing, we're just like testing it out, right? And, and we're making adjustments to it as we go. And, and we're being honest with our kids. Like, hey, we're, we're trying to, to test this out. We're going to do this thing. And, and we are being real with them. Uh, but I think more... And, the most important thing that we've done, and, and and my wife has been so good at this, it's letting our kids know through experience and yes, in words, that their parents are a place where they talk to about stuff. When they see a thing, whether it be out in real life, out with their friends or on, say, a computer, they can talk to us about that stuff. We're a safe place for those conversations to happen. So uh, this is something that my wife and I wrote about in our, our recent book. We do this thing called One Kid Up. So uh, once a week, we uh, put two of our kids to bed and they don't have to like go to sleep. They can just be in their rooms or whatever. But it's just time for me and my wife to be with one of the kids alone, just us, special time. And it's an hour, it's an hour long. And for some adults, they think, oh, man, doing this would take so much time and I'm really tired by the end of the day or whatever. But it's just an hour. It goes really quick. It's it's no big deal. And we allow them, for the most part, to kind of do whatever they want in that hour. And sometimes they just play board games with mom and dad or uh, they, they watch, you know, their favorite YouTube dude perfect or something like that. Right. Um, but there are times when we intentionally say, hey, as part of one kid up, we're going to go through a book together. And it might be an age appropriate book about sex. It might be an age appropriate book about pornography. It might be an, an age-appropriate book about screens and devices, right? And it, we're training our kids and having them experience that when you see certain things in life, you're not alone. You don't have to try to figure this out by yourself. And, and you can come and, and talk to your parents about it. And we do our best to create an environment where we're not like 
dogmatic. This is what don't do this. Do, but more of like, hey, here's the reality of, of some things in life. What do you think about that? Right. Mm-hmm. And having a conversation with them. And sure, is this my son sometimes like, that's weird, dad. You know, yes, <laughs> he, he does do that. Right. But he's experiencing yeah. and learning and knowing that, oh, no, m- mom and dad is a place where I can go to, to talk about stuff. That's weird. And yeah. um, because so much of what's going on in this world, as you said, is is kind of like an experiment. I don't want him to go through it alone. And I, I want to be there with them as that experiment is literally happening on them and to them. Um, yeah so that we can talk about it together and that our relationship can can be a catalyst for hopefully success as they're experiencing some of these things. Yeah, I, th- I think that sounds like a really good approach. The thing that I find quite scary about it all is I'm hyper aware of the fact that most adults don't know how to manage these things well, right? Like mm. most adults don't know how to use social media, right? Like how to manage the, you know, the, the mental health aspects or how to not Mm -hmm. waste all their time or how to, um, not be hopelessly addicted to this little, like, I'm very aware that most adults struggle with it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm just like, oh my gosh, giving this to a child. Yep. Right. If someone who's, if someone who's 40 years old is struggling with this thing, how are you going to give this to a 12 year old? and let them just kind of go off with it like that's the part that to me is like not even being a parent right but i've got 10 nieces and nephews so it's not like i've got a no stake in the game already i do right and i'm just like man this is a this is a strange brave new world and i think people people feel that with every generation but i do think that this particular shift is a monumental one i don't think Mm. this is just like um introducing i don't know if i think of like big inventions of previous decades they they didn't they didn't interconnect billions of people around the world yeah in real time and allow everyone to communicate everyone has access to everyone like it's crazy like everyone has access to me like that's nuts that shouldn't really be the case everyone has actually like no matter what level you're at you could be like the biggest celebrity if you are on social media like everyone just has access to you Right. Like they could just, you could just send a message to any, like, it's, it's crazy. I can send a message to Elon Musk and he replies. Right. Like that's cool, but that happens in this world. It, now, you're, right? you know? yeah. <laughs> it, it's really cool if you use it correctly. But the fact that just like anyone can access anyone is also very scary. Cause it's just like, you've just got like a door open and there's just a field and like anyone can just come up and talk to you. They, they don't even need to be within borders, right? They don't even need yeah. to it could be across the ocean. They don't even need to be real. It could be an AI. <laughs> it could it could be a bot. And now you've got yes. like all this advancements with AI. I mean, do you ever think of like, do you ever think of when your children are, uh, I don't know, when your children are your age, what kind of technology they're going to be oh. dealing with? Man, and, and, the, and the world moves so fast that it's hard for me to even think what type of technology is going to be a- available at that time. And I think really what helps us kind of manage these pieces of technology and um, just all of these things is, again, there's there's awesome things that are associated with it. But as you mentioned, even adults are going to struggle with it. Myself, I've, I've, I've struggled with it. But the, one of the things that that can can help us is, first, not justifying it, but then, two, properly evaluating it. 
So a healthy adult will justify how much they're on their smartphone, uh, their computer in their pocket by saying, oh, it's work. I need to do this to earn an income or, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm connecting with other people and I'm being relational or whatever that that justification is. Right. Um, so you have to recognize that, OK, I can be a slave to this, too, and I can't justify it. But then, too, you have to evaluate it. So my wife and I, when we go on our anniversary once a year, we ask ourselves four questions. What can I do less of? What can I do more of? What can I add and what can I remove? And we do this as a healthy way of looking in the mirror and trying to figure out what do we want to repeat from last year that's going well and how can we keep doing that? And what do I need to make some adjustments on? And one of the things that she said in, in one of our anniversaries a couple of years back was less cell phones when we're home with our kids. And my initial reaction was like, we talking about, I'm not on my phone that much. We, you know, I try to get defensive, you know, I'm, I'm doing it for work and I'm earning an income and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, I, I had to look in the mirror and I had to be humble mm -hmm. and say, oh yeah, yeah. This, this technological thing that I'm engaging in now is I have to make some adjustments and I have to be intentional because the, the best intentions require intentional actions. My, my, I have the best intention to be the best dad in, in the world to be the best husband I can be, but I have to be very intentional now with my actions, specifically with new technology to ensure I can be that best person. So for me, that meant I had to create a very specific place in our home yeah. where when I get home, I put my cell phone there and it's not in the couch or in my pocket when I'm home from work, right? Um, and that intentional action came from reviewing and looking in the mirror and being humble to hear some negative feedback from my spouse, right? So regardless of how technology continues to evolve with our kids, our, our hope is that we're going to instill within them that wisdom and those habits of yeah. don't justify stuff, but then continually look in the mirror, evaluate. How are you doing with that new thing? Can you make an adjustment to it? right? What adjustments can you make? How, how can you be intentional, have intentional actions to, to live out those best intentions that you have? Most definitely, man. It, it's, it's certainly a challenge and it's, um, I, I love to hear people's different approaches to it because I, I see some parents do certain things and I'm like, whenever I have kids, I am absolutely not doing what they're doing. Right. right. I, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I have those, right. I've, I've been, you know, you go out to a restaurant and uh. Every, every child is sitting there with their own personal tablet and headphones on, not engaged at, for, the, for the whole duration. And they're just like completely checked out, unlimited. And I'm just like, okay, like that is, I, I can't do that. Like that can't, that can't be the approach um, that I just give my child like a giant electronic pacifier and they just right. sit there for three hours watching whatever nonsense they're watching. Um, but then also... I'm aware that look, like tech technology exists, right? You you can't mm -hmm. pretend that you can't pretend that it doesn't. You can't pretend that these things are not out there in the ether and they're not going to hear things and they're not going to have friends. And it's like, okay, what's the best way to introduce those certain ideas and so on? Like I, I I'm actually grateful. I'm the uh I know you're you're the middle of seven. I'm I'm the last of five. Okay. And I'm I'm very I'm actually very grateful for that because mm. I can, I, I, I sort of sit there with a mental notepad, right? And I, I, I'm kind of like just constantly taking notes of like, okay, yes. I want to do that. Okay, I think I'll do that differently. Like I'm going to do that. Like I'm, I'm sure it'll, it'll of course change once, you know, it all becomes a reality. Oh. But I like the fact that I don't feel like I'd be going into it sort of like just 
totally unprepared and blind. Like I've actually got like strategies that I've seen work, strategies I've seen not work. Um, and and when I see it, like I, I ask people questions, just like I'm asking you. I'm just like, all right, like how do you? You've got three children, right? They're growing up in this world. Like how do you? What are the rules around smartphones? How do you manage screen time? Like how 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 do you do it? Right? Because it's yeah, it's uh, it's new. It's a brave new world. You were here in Arizona a month or so ago, and um, you know, my schedule and your schedule were were obviously busy. But I really wanted to make sure I had an opportunity to just come and say hi to you. And and that required me at that at that time. I brought my daughter with me, right? Um, and some might say, like, okay, why are you bringing your daughter with you late at night at at a at a restaurant or a bar, or bar situation? But I think that is an example of, of of how we help our kids through this stuff. It's just that we do life with them. I, I take them with me, uh, so that she can answer, ask questions, and I can answer them. Right. Um, so I I was picking her up from her gymnastics and. Um, uh, my wife was with the other two kids and, and so it was just me and her. So we came and said hi to Zuby and on the way there, uh, you know, she, she's like, okay, what are we going to do? Whatever. I'm like, Oh, we're going to meet somebody. This is a friend that I have uh, found on the internet. And, and we we've talked a few times, you know, and she's like, okay, yeah. And then I, I, I meet you and, and I introduce you to her. And then on the, on the way back, she's like, Hey, well, what was that about? You know, why are you friends with him? And what are, what kind of things do you guys talk about? And, those types of questions were awesome and super healthy because then it allowed me to to share with her how I'm engaging with the world, which mm. then helps her shape her worldview of how she wants to engage with the world, engage with technology and engage with other people. And we need to have a lot more of those conversations. To me, the biggest danger of giving your kid, uh, uh, as you said, an electronic pacifier at the dinner table isn't necessarily that. Oh man, that stinks that they're, you know, staring at this lights the entire time and, and, and they're on their own, but it's that they're not seeing how their parents are acting. Mm -hmm. They're not seeing how their parents are engaging with the server or maybe engaging with another adult couple who's, who's next to them or engaging with their friends that they're eating dinner with like those types of things. You, you, I think kids need to see you as a parent doing that stuff so that they can say, Hey, I'm going to repeat that. I want to do that too. Or no, I, I want to do it a little bit, a, a little bit differently. And even the experience that my daughter had when meeting you, it turned into some awesome conversations. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I'm glad to hear. Grant, where can people find and follow you online? And yeah, so anything... Twitter, it, it's at Grant Botma, G-R-A-N-T-B-O-T-M-A. Instagram, same thing, at Grant Botma. I would say on Twitter, I'm a little bit more... Uh, talking about some political issues. For the most part, I just try to encourage folks online and share with them financial information and advice. Um, and then on Instagram, it's probably more like family advice, but then also the financial advice as well. Uh, but I'm pretty much posting every day, if not multiple times a day. And uh, you can always hit me up in my direct messages on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And I respond to people fairly regularly. Awesome. Grant, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I think you're a very inspirational dude. I think you've oh. spoken on a lot of things actually that people can people can learn from. I think there have mm. been a lot of important lessons here on grace, on relationships, on parenthood, on mindset. Mm. I think there have been a, a lot of gems here. So thank you. Oh man, thanks for having me on, Zuby. It's been a blast. Appreciate it, man. Nice, man. Talk soon. Sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me, you're destined for pain. 
your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.